Our message is from Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Joe, we have a good bit of feedback in the mic. Uh, I don't know if you can maybe turn it down just a little. Thank you. Titus chapter 2, verses uh, 11 through 15. Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare all these things, exhort and rebuke with authority. Let no one disregard you. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that, Lord, you have given us your word. Lord, that you lead us and guide us by it. You bring light, Lord, into our minds and hearts by it. And pray, Lord, that we would be ready to hear it uh, this morning, that the seed would fall upon good soil and that it would bring forth much fruit. We give you praise and thanksgiving. I forgot to uh, say after the scripture reading, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stand forever. Amen. So um, it's been said that at the beginning of each uh, NFL football season when Vince Lombardi was the coach of the Green Bay Packers, uh, that uh, the first thing he would say to the players at the beginning of the new training was holding up a football saying, gentlemen, this is a football. And so his way of saying that we have to get the basics, we have to have the fundamentals uh, done. We can never forget the basics and the fundamentals. So our, our text this morning is uh, basic and it's fundamental, but it's good for us to be reminded of it, to not, uh, to not drift away from it. And um, so it is simple and straightforward. Uh, we'll look at a couple of uh, uh, word, word studies and, uh, you know, definitions and things like that. And the other thing we'll do is uh, look at uh, quite a few cross-references uh, in the Scripture and let the Scripture comment on itself. So the context of this is uh, written by Paul to Titus, who is an elder on the island of Crete. And for Titus, he was offering him encouragement and wisdom as uh, Titus encountered a lot of opposition, uh, evidently, uh, from not only those who are living in ungodliness, uh, not not living by the grace of God, not walking in the knowledge of God, but also the Jewish legalists who were there while he was executing his uh, executing his duties as an overseer on Crete. And so the letter. Paul writes to him and says, you know, these are the qualifications for men that you want to have uh, as elders. And he said, this is the, the type of behavior and the type of fruit that we should see in the lives, you know, of the people. And so he, he speaks about some of that behavior and gospel fruit in the beginning of chapter 2 and also in chapter 3. But sort of right in between there are these verses 
that, are, that we are looking at this morning. And uh, so as he was appointing elders and overseers, he was teaching the believers there about godliness and right relationships with each other uh, and also with those outside. Uh, the Gospel Transformation Bible Commentary says about this particular passage that these verses are arguably the most concise explanation of gospel-centered living found anywhere in Scripture. Self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, zealous for good works, those are produced by embracing the grace of God, not only in our salvation, but also in our ongoing walk of sanctification. And so we will explore these verses again, as I said, partly by word study and partly by looking at many cross-references that we find in the scriptures. So uh, kind of a summary of what we'll do today and, and our reaction to what we read today is we rejoice in the grace of God in saving us. We humbly submit to gracious training in godliness. We wait patiently for the second coming and our hope as we train, and we marvel at God's redemption and his adoption of believers as his very own possession. So, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So, um, there's a, a book that's been around for many, many years, uh, uh, Strong's Concordance. It's a, If you get the book, it's about this thick, with writing about uh, about eight point uh, in it, so it's <laughs> it's really full, but it's it is an exhaustive concordance, and so uh, looking at that, it, it it brings you to Greek words and gives you uh, uh, you know shades of meaning as that word is used in various places in the scripture. So that word grace is charis, from which the work we get charismatic or charity, uh, and basically it means goodwill. This is which is really meaningful, meaning that it's. It's God's goodwill towards us, our holy God, that it's expressing his loving kindness. It expresses his unmerited favor, his merciful kindness. And Strong goes on to say this, it exerts his holy influence upon our souls in that he turns us to Jesus Christ. He uh, strengthens us. He increases us in our faith. Uh, He increases us in our knowledge, in our affection, He stirs us up or kindles our hearts to flame, to exercise Christian virtues. And Calvin writes uh, about this, about grace, that the manifestation of the grace of God unavoidably carries along with it exhortations to a holy life. And we'll see later on that it's clear enough that uh, we know that we're not saved by our works, but because we are saved, that should result in uh, fruitfulness. So, this grace has appeared. It's come to life. The word there is, uh, is the word we use for epiphany, which is you know an unveiling, a, a bringing to light, an appearance to become visible. And so this grace has been made apparent to us. It's been made to appear to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as Philippians says, who laid down his own glory and took on flesh that he might live among us, amongst us, sinless perfection and taking our sins upon himself. So uh, I'm going to give you a bunch of scripture references, so if you're a note taker, I'll try to repeat uh, the verse uh, each time I say one. 
Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10, I won't read every bit of that, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is, is one of the, the, the key passages in the scriptures that explains salvation by grace alone. So Paul goes in there explaining to us that we are dead in our transgressions. There's nothing we can do. There's nothing that we can do to come to God if we are left dead in our transgressions and sins. And we lived that way until coming to know the Lord. We served the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit now at work in all of those disobedient. And like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in his mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Now that's grace, because God gave us what we didn't deserve. He gave us life. He drew us to himself. If left to ourselves, we would have just kept on going in our sinfulness. And he says there the first time, it is by grace you have been saved. We remind of what Jesus said in John 3.16, you must be born again and born of the Spirit. And Christ has been seated in the heavenly places when we are seated with him and that we might show, that he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness, his graciousness to us in Christ Jesus. And here's the key verse. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. That is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. There's grace explained. Not by works so that no one can boast. If it was by our own works, then we could boast. We could brag about what we did to attain God's favor. But Paul says clearly here, it's purely by grace. No one can boast. And here's here's the verse that really ties in with what we're talking about today. For we are God's handiwork. God has you in his hand. And he's the one, having given you the spirit, he's the one that works in you by the spirit and by the truth of the word. And he molds us and makes us what we are to be. In fact, it says he created us in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. So anytime we we want to be uh, big-headed or proud or boastful, you know, we, we remember what Paul said, our boast is in Christ and him crucified. But we are thankful, you know, that he is doing that work in us. In Titus chapter 3, uh, Paul confesses that He says, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to passions, pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. He poured that all upon us richly so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, you know, those many, many other passages in the Old Testament and the New speak about the grace of God. But these two passages make it abundantly clear to us that it's nothing that we have earned that's purely by God's grace.
But what should happen in our lives with that grace? Uh, that grace appeared. He brings salvation to us. And then there's another step. It goes further. That grace trains us. It's training us to renounce ungodliness and to renounce worldly passions. And that word training uh, is is used in, in several ways. It, it It's a word that you would use when you train up a child. And what do you do when you train up a child? You you teach them. You you repeat things to them. You encourage them, but you also discipline and chastise them. You know when they're willfully disobedient uh, to that. And so uh, so this is educating by implication, by discipline, by chastening, instructing, teaching, learning. And what is it teaching us to do? To renounce, to disavow, to reject, to abnegate, to deny, to refuse ungodliness and worldly passions. And ungodliness and worldly passions is a a lack of reverence towards God. It's having impiety, worldly passions, uh, basically having desires, cravings, longings from the heart for those things or ideas which have as their root the character of this present corrupt age. How does God train us? How does he do that? How do we avail ourselves to that training? Uh, One thing we do is uh, take advantage, you know, of uh, the means of grace. That means worshiping each Sunday together with a church, hearing the word proclaimed, confession of sin, participating in prayer, and having the Lord's Supper as often as we can. Uh, Those things go a long way because if you're in a church that's preaching the word, that's where you're going to at least hear once a week the instruction that we need to hear for us to walk in such a way that we renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And of course, studying and praying, reading on our own. We're called to do that. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 gives us a key uh, to that training. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and here's that word again, for training in righteousness that the man or the woman of God, person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's really plain and fundamental to us there. Colossians chapter 3 and Galatians chapter 5, we'll, we'll look at one part of that chapter under this, verse 12, and we'll look at another part of it uh, uh, in the second half of verse 12. But Colossians 3, 5 teaches us uh, things that we're to do to, to take action. And in uh, verse 5, the word says, put to death or count, or count yourself as dead to what is earthly in you. Uh, sometimes we liken it to taking off an, an old, you know, dirty coat and then later on putting on Christ's robe of righteousness. But put to death sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Because on the account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And we all, you know, well, once walked in them, we're all still tempted in all of those things. But Paul says, now we are in Christ, we must put them all away. 
by God's grace. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, lying, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices, and you put on the new self, which is being renewed, which is being trained, which is being taught in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Galatians 5.17, Galatians 5.17, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. So there's that, there's that battle, you know, that goes on within us. And Paul says, if, if you don't really know what the works of the flesh are, he says, I'm going to help you out here. For the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, uh, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So it's easy when we read some of these passages and say, oh man, uh, most of that stuff doesn't really bother me. Uh, but there are those sins that, uh, that many times are unseen. Sometimes they're manifest by the, the words we say with our mouth because it reveals the things that are in our heart. But, you know, we think about gossip, think about slander, think about, you know, little white lies, uh, all of those things. Uh, we have to be wary of those things as well. Jerry Bridges wrote a book years ago called Acceptable Sins. And uh, the premise of the book is that we try to ignore in ourselves uh, sins like gossip, slander, anger, discontentment, murmuring, unthankfulness, pride, selfishness, judgmentalism, covetousness, envy, lust, uh, because many times they are kind of secret uh, with us. Uh, But we're to submit to God's gracious work and always be ready to let the Holy Spirit through the word teach us, convict us, and drive us to Christ, you know, for his grace to enable us to grow in fruitfulness and to put these things away. And God will, in that training, as we said, that word training includes discipline or chastisement. And uh, that can take all sorts of, uh, you know, different forms, which I won't go into, but um, we're to submit to God's gracious work in us. Because he means it for our good. Uh, uh, You know, Hebrews 12, Paul explains that when a father disciplines his child, he's not doing it to harm the child. He's doing it to help the child. And he says, uh, the same for us. God disciplines those whom he loves. And he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later on, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been, as the word again, trained by it. So it's training us to put off certain things and to embrace and take on certain things, and that is to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. To live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So self-controlled, uh, the word there, the Greek word there, uh, mean to live soberly, to live uh, moderately, to have 
a sound mind, in, in, in other words, a, a mind that is grounded in the truth, to live temperately, to, to be uh, discreet, uh, to live upright and godly, uh, Greek words there, uh, dikaios and eusebius, uh, to live justly and righteously, especially, uh, you know, uh, unto other men, and to live piously uh, towards God, who is our Savior, our holy God. Again, the Gospel Transformation Bible says, a profound encounter with the grace of the gospel is the only thing that can produce change at the level of our desires. Remember when we looked earlier at worldly passions, it's having a desire, craving, longing from the heart for those things or ideas that are characterized by this world's uh, corruption. So a profound encounter with the grace of the gospel is the only thing that can produce change at the level of our desires. And that is what we're to seek, is that God would change our desires as we submit to him. It's not a one-time thing where, you know, we get saved, uh, an encounter, but a continuing one. And we are to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day. Zacharias, uh, after uh, the Lord had, had loosened his tongue when he obeyed and named his son John, uh, uttered a great prophecy. And toward the end of that prophecy in Luke chapter 1, verses 74b and 75, uh, the purpose of that redemption that God has wrought for us is that we might serve him without fear in holiness and in righteousness before, uh, before him all of our days. So living before him in holiness and righteousness, you know, the full table of the law, you know, letting God do his work in us. Second Peter 1 verse 3, Second Peter 1 3, Peter gives us this astounding news. He said, God, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. So what a promise that, uh, that God gives us through the mouth, of, through the pen of Peter. His divine power has granted to us everything that we need that pertains to life, godliness, godly living, and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us. Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10, we read this a little bit earlier. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for in advance for us to do. That, that scripture in Titus is to live godly lives in this present age. So it is, it is the things that we're supposed to be doing now. Um, Philippians 2, 12, uh, B and uh, 13. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Uh, Paul writes to the Philippians, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So uh, if, if he had stopped there, it would seem to contradict you know, everything else that Paul has taught us about the grace of God working in our lives. But he continues in verse 13, 
for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we are to work it out, and we are to be coming to God and say, Lord, this is your promise, that you're working in me, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. Lord, remove my stubbornness, remove my hard-headedness, my stiff neck, my cold heart, and let your work uh, be done in me, because I do come before you, Lord, with fear and trembling. I do come before you, acknowledging that left to myself, uh, I would be undone. So we come back, as I mentioned earlier, to Colossians 3 and Galatians 5, uh, as we were to put off all those evil things, the evil uh, fruit of this world, Colossians 3.12 exhorts us as God's chosen ones, as God's chosen ones. Every one of these words is, is so rich. We could, we could spend uh, you know, many Sundays on that. But we're chosen ones. We're his holy ones. As a dean has been leading us through church, 3 John on Wednesday nights, beloved, we're beloved in God. And so we are to put on then, as a result of that, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Oh, and listen to this, bearing with one another, being patient with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so we also must forgive. And above all these, put on love. Because that line, that love, all of these things that we're exhorted to do, all of these truths that God gives us in the scripture, abiding in the love of Christ binds everything together and makes it harmonious. And we are to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, uh, to which indeed you are called in one body. It's so easy today. I'll, I'll, I'll park there for just a moment. Uh, I think that uh, you know every generation kind of looks back to previous generations, and we kind of you know whether it's on our computers, our phones, the television news, the radio, and uh, 24-hour news cycles. I think that if we we spend much time in that, you know, Facebook and, you know, all of those things. I'm not saying that any of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but if we spend a lot of time in there, I think if you're not careful, you will find yourself not being at peace. Uh, you're going to be angry. You're going to be upset. Uh, you know, you're going to say things that you shouldn't say and think things that you shouldn't uh, think. Uh, you may uh, wittingly or unwittingly participate in slander you know by reposting things that agree with you know what you the way you think things ought to be uh you know we may even gossip with all that but the main thing is that we may be unsettled you know by everything because it's uh, usually not the positive things that make the news or the things that people talk about people talk about negative things people we're our we're bent we, we have a bent to murmur and to complain you read the the history of israel and say how could they be that way and then stop and listen to yourself any day during the week when you're at work you know when you interact with your kids or relatives or friends you know think about those things about murmuring complaining being all riled up about this or that god has called us one of those fruits that he's given us is peach so, a peace so
Sorry, got off on that little thing, tangent, but uh, remedies for that, be thankful. In this uh, particular passage, in this particular passage, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which we have been called. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, doing what? Teaching and admonishing yourself and one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think as we cultivate those things and let God do his work in us, uh, then, you know, that will combat all those other things. Galatians 5.22, quickly, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So we're to walk in the Spirit. All those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. On to verse 13. Patience. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting, waiting, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to be patient. The word just means be patient. And uh, and is to participate, uh, to be waiting for that blessed hope, which is not wishful thinking, but a, a solid expectation and anticipation that we long to see the second coming of Christ. We long to see the redemption of our bodies at the resurrection. And, uh, and we see that at the appearing. Again, that word is uh, from which we get the word epiphany. The appearance, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to shine upon, who is full of glory. It's that glorious appearing. It's a very apparent thing. The word doxa is honor, praise, worship. And the glory that they're speaking about here is the kind of glory that was seen on the Mount of Transfiguration, the kind of glory that John experienced in his visions and being in the presence of the Lord, uh, you know, written and recorded for us in the book of Revelation. It's the fall on your face before God kind of glory that we look forward to. Now, we have a little taste of it now, but one day we'll see it in all of its fullness. And it's going to be the glory of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus, Joshua, means Jehovah is salvation, and Christ means the anointed one. So he is the promised one. Second Peter 3.13, according to his promise, Second Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, and there will be no unrighteousness. 1 John 2.28, 1 John 2.28, John reminds his flock, and now little children, abide in him, abide in Christ, rest in him, have peace in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. And back to Titus chapter 3. When the goodness and loving kindness of our God first appeared, he saved us. Again, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, 
the washing, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And then he poured that out through Jesus Christ, our Savior, our glorious God and Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs. So we look for it, we wait for it with patience because it is our inheritance. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And there is a future glory. Romans 8.18, Paul writes, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, in verse 23, let's skip down to verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Paul said that he's, he's given us that Spirit as a down payment, as an earnest I like putting a deposit when you want to purchase something. He's given us a down payment by giving us the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan. We groan inwardly. We struggle. And we wait eagerly for adoptions as son, the redemption of our bodies. As Carl often reminds us, the already and the not yet. We already have it. It's ours. But we haven't, it hasn't fully come to us. But we eagerly wait for it. We look forward to it. We wait with patience. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And finally, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. We've already read scriptures about the Lord having given himself for us. He laid down his life for us that we could be redeemed. But that word redeemed, uh, it means to, to ransom someone, to release someone on receipt of ransom. To release someone on the receipt of ransom paid. To liberate by the payment of a ransom. So we... We who were slaves to sin and death, we were slaves to the power of sin and to the penalty of sin. Christ has redeemed us. He paid the price that fully satisfied. Romans 4 says that he was raised again from the dead because God accepted what had been done. So we are justified by that resurrection. He has purchased us, redeemed us from the power and the penalty of sin. So, brothers and sisters, when we, you know, as, as we go through our lives day by day, it's a, you know, it, it, it is a fight. It is a fight that we're in. It, it's a long race that we're in. It's not a short sprint. Uh, you know, and you get tired, you get thirsty, you get weary, the sun beats down on you, it's cold. You know, we, uh, we forget, uh, we, get, uh, we get entangled. With so many things, our own unbelief, plus the attacks from Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren, brethren, to where even within ourselves or with Satan uh, seeking to devour us, says, did God really say that? Does God really mean that? And um, uh, I want to, uh, to read one more scripture uh, to us. Uh, it's uh, one that we studied this past Thursday on our morning Bible study. Uh, 
from a book that we're reading called uh, Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And in this chapter, uh, he quotes John 6.37. And this is what uh, I hope you'll receive as the invitation. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Uh, the old King James says, I will no wise cast out. Whoever comes to me, I will no wise cast out. Uh, the Greek for that no wise is very emphatic, and, and one way of, of, of repeating uh, the emphasis is to hear would be to repeat the word not. It's not said in a way to make it a double negative, but it's said for emphasis. I will not, not cast out. That's how emphatic, uh, you know, the Greek translation is, you know, for this particular verse. In studying that book, Gentle and Lowly, uh, Dane Ortland quotes uh, things that were written by John Bunyan. John Bunyan wrote a whole book just on this one verse, as the Puritans were apt to do, John 6.37. So hear this word of encouragement. But I am a great sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am an old sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a hard-hearted sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I am a backsliding sinner, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have served Satan all my days, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against light, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have sinned against mercy, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. But I have no good thing to bring with me, say you. I will in no wise cast out, says Christ. I don't know where you are with the Lord. If you do not know him this morning, I pray that you would come to him, for he will in no wise cast out. For all of us who struggle in this daily walk, this daily walk in following Christ, wherever you find yourself, come to Christ. He will in no wise cast out, for he is our Savior, our Redeemer, and our Keeper. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. Lord, you are good to us and gracious to us. And uh, Lord, pray that we would be encouraged by what you have spoken to us uh, this morning through your word. We're so thankful for that. And pray that, Lord, you would uh, help us to gird up for the battle. Help us to put on the whole armor uh, uh, that you have given to us, that we may fight the good fight, and having done all, Lord, to stand up and fight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.